keep going. Somehow, you have found the Keep Going Podcast. My name is Steve Sisson, and I am one of your hosts. Love and delight are not all there is. Well, at some foundational metaphysical level, perhaps all is emptiness or bliss or any other state of altered consciousness. But in the day-to-day operations of being a human in this crazy, fucked-up world at this interesting time of civilizational history... Things are much more painful and messy and hard. How we wake up every day pretending to be ready for the chaos that's awaiting us once we step out our doors of safety is astounding to me. We talk about purpose or meaning or manifesting, but in reality of the situation is that we are in nature, of nature, and nature doesn't give a flying fuck about us. Our personal history and goals don't mean a goddamn thing to the actual functioning of the universe. And there are hazards to being alive and aware and paying attention. Suffering and pain and risk are right here, right in front of us. And if we're going to reason and hope and try at this game of life, everything is risky. We must wrestle with the angel of risk just as Jacob wrestled with his angel in the biblical story, Genesis. In this episode, we get really real about risk how most people avoid recognizing it in their training and racing, how risk can affect our mental health, life purpose, and how accepting risk and meeting it head on are the cost of doing business when we're trying to operate in high performance situations. And as we frequently do in these conversations, we lay out a blanket and we sit down with risk. Along the way, we get messy, ball up the blanket, tear at it, gnash our teeth, bend over backwards as we approach the monsters hiding underneath it. We get hot and bothered in this one, And I go on a few spontaneous rants. You've been warned. So join us in this exploration we call Wrestling with the Angel of Risk. And Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. Sign up like the week before and be like, yeah, okay, I'm going to go do this thing. Just check everything out. But not to... It would have been a great half to just go... Go just see how it feels. Well, for where you're at with your training, the way your training is operating right now, it's like, from what I have understood, you know, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks about it, but it's, you're so focused on aerobic development and that engine that uh, you'll go into a half feeling like the wheels aren't ready to turn over, but you can pull a heavy load and you may be surprised to see how that translates. Mm-hmm. I'm always, that's why I always encourage marathoners to do a half marathon somewhere in their cycle. They they frequently don't feel prepared for it. What do you think about a month out? I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, three weeks is the closest I like. I've had people do it two weeks out, um, but that, it works with my taper to do it that way, but it's t- hard to recover from. And what's actually harder 
is dealing with the psychological challenges that come up if the race goes poorly. You don't have another session to get right as rain. So there's a challenge for me because I'm not working simply with the physiological attributes. I'm also dealing with people who have minds. <laughs> and so if they go in and their half doesn't turn out the way that they want it to, then, and you don't have another session that's going to be an indicator session, that can be challenging and problematic. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't, it just makes a lot more sense to do it. If you're planning, if you can plan it to do it with three to four weeks. So I get another marathon specific session in before, um, six weeks to a month is optimal. Um, but I've even, I'm even recommending sometimes to people to do a marathon before a marathon. No shit. Yeah. Because if they'll go about doing it in a way that's like a, what I call a Telos fast long run that yeah. I got from Kipchoge, mm -hmm. you know, where you just run 90, 95%, they can go the full distance and get a benefit out of it. Or they can use it as an over distance, easy long run where they, yeah. where they try mm -hmm. to run conservative and easy. I have a guy who's thinking about doing that for Austin and then doing Eugene. Those are really far apart though. You know, they're, they're significantly, you know, they're three months apart. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. So there's no worry about it. There's a lot of ways to, to cook the goose you know there's a lot of ways to get to Rome and, and there's no one way as we see no single person is doing exactly the same sessions that any other person is doing I'm convinced more than ever that it's that I, I see so many different so many different things and the the separation of like the pro field and how they train and then how somebody like myself would train is just so much different I can't even wrap my brain around it anymore. But even the pros, they're all using slightly different, in some cases, slightly different systems or significantly mm -hmm. different systems. And they're getting, and they're shoulder to shoulder at the finish of the race. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly, you know, Josh Kerr is not doing double thresholds mm -hmm. all the time. And he wasn't doing double thresholds mm -hmm. since he was, you know, a tiny little guy. And he was able to shift gears 200 out at um, World Championships and beat, you know, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who everyone thought, you know, couldn't be beat, although he's now been beaten by, you know, prisoners of her majesty. Pommies like twice now at world mm -hmm. championships. But it's, uh, it's interesting. Like it's gotta be with how each individual processes. There's something in fatigue and how we're processing and accumulating fatigue and how that, that, that kind of cascades into, um, for me, accumulating too much fatigue just kind of like, kind of shuts me down. Oh yeah. And, but it seems like to other folks, the more fatigue, the better. It's weird. It's a weird situation. Like, I, I don't know if it's, I mean, it, of course it's going to be something to do with the nervous system and how that's kind of like winding up and winding up and then release. But I think that from athlete to athlete I'm finding that there's just it's so hard to have an apples to apples conversation when everybody processes fatigue in a different way I think it's instructive to look at a training group that trains together for similar races mm -hmm. so uh, you've got that the on group in yeah that's running out of Boulder with Dathan Ritzenhein as the coach mm -hmm. and you've got an Aussie on that team 15, a 1500 world-class 1500 meter runner Aussie and Ollie Hoare. You've got a world-class 1500 meter runner Spanish 
guy in Romo. And then you've got a world-class American 1,500-meter runner. And I guarantee in... Uh, why am I blanking on our brother's name? Anyway, it, it, we've got three of them running in the same program with the same coach. Mm -hmm. I would love to see their training logs. Because they're... Because they're going to be different. They're going to be different. Like it's, yeah. But even if they're not different, they're going to have a different relationship to their coach. Yeah. They're going to have a different relationship to the ground and the weather and the conditions. They're going to have a different life because they're dealing with they're different looking, things yeah, in their lives. Yeah, they're looking at the same day, but they're not having the same conversation Correct. with the day. Or, or with themselves so, or with yeah. anything. And this is why I call, this is what I call a relationship. This is why I think relationship is something for runners to really understand. There is no perfect session. Like, like it's a, it's really true. There are good sessions and bad sessions, but much more is what is that session's context? What's the relationship, the runner, that complex nervous system, the neuromuscular patterns, the conditions and circumstances, the mindset, the attitude, the weather, the, you know, sometimes Ali Orr will be doing a workout in a different part of the world. They'll be doing different workouts in different parts of the world. They've got different national championships to get ready for, different things. So there's always a change in something different. So we can't really just pinpoint, in my opinion, it's it should be a relief to those people who are listening who think that they might not be doing something optimal. You just need to make sure that your relationship with your coach and or the sessions that you're doing is as good as you can make it and you're getting good feedback loops. You're getting good information from them. It gives, yeah, it gives me an idea about a topic we should probably put on the schedule for next, you know, in the mm -hmm. next few sessions or something. Maybe. I'm, gonna, I'm curious to see what you think about it. But the this idea that, you know, we talk about culture a lot. We talk about, like, What's going like? How does how does an age grouper like myself process performance versus what we're seeing in the you know elite field or standard times and stuff like that? So it's 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 almost hard for me to articulate, but there's got to be something from your perspective where you were in the collegiate system and you were coaching. Um, how do you say it? This like time periods of, of athletes where the focus was to be great at an event at a specific time in their life and they're optimizing for that specific time in their life. And we see this and we're influenced, like we being myself, like the average athlete, and we're influenced by how people are doing things and why they're doing things. I'm curious to know if you have an opinion down the road on, um, on time you know, call it a mission. What's the mission of running track and field at UT? Is it time bound? Is it, or is it set up for post-collegiate careers? Is it set up for post-collegiate success in some way? And how is that like, um, how does that kind of like dissipate into when the, when the mission is done, how does that dissipate? And like, how do athletes kind of like find their footing after those sessions? Like where does, somebody on the on team find themselves after, you know, they, they become unattached. Mm -hmm. you, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's hard to articulate almost, but it's like the culture is surrounding what the best of the best is doing, how people are doing it, what the standard times require, what does race require? But like, but I'm, I'm, I, I have this theory that what we digest 
in the culture a lot of the time is not the long-term goals. It's a bunch of short-term goals or missions that we're kind of accumulating. And it just seems a little bit larger than life sometimes. It can become <laughs> overwhelming. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you're, you're basically, see if I can toss this back to you. There are command performances mm-hmm. where an athlete is preparing their season for one race. Now, at the collegiate level, this is a little different because they've got three seasons. Typically, they'll focus on two primarily, the cross-country season and the outdoor season. But some people will privilege the indoor season. Um, and so there's a, a way of looking at it from that perspective. Like, what are you focused on? Is it in a by, you know, a by to work two races a year, two main races a year, mm-hmm. right? Or one main race a year? When we think in marathoning for the adult athlete, it's like they're getting ready for one marathon four to six weeks out, four to six months out, they're preparing. Like you're a little unusual in that you prepared for this race that you're going to be doing nearly a year out. But that's a discrete period, a command performance period. But now you're also asking, well, what does that look like over an athlete's career? And that's a career arc. And how do you account for a career arc at the collegiate and pro level um, it, you, this is also a major concern, especially for the precocious young ones. Um, when you think about a, a, a young athlete like Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who started this because he had uh, brothers who were world class, he came up through these ranks with his mission being this way. He's such a unique case of preternatural talent, a really aggressive father. And a guide, multiple guides ahead of him who he trusted because they yeah. were his brothers to because they had his interest at heart. They truly love. I mean, this is one thing about the Engelbrechts you have to say. They deeply care for each other. The brothers do. Mm-hmm. They don't currently have a good relationship with their father for other reasons. But, the you know, so your career arc is a piece of a puzzle that needs to be considered um, for the for the adult athlete, I think. I agree. And it's- and they're hard. We touched on this because I had an athlete recently who said, because we did an episode where we talked about this, um, about how I, re- how I really wished there was an athlete that would give me a, a 12-month or an 18-month window. And I have an athlete coming up who has done that. He, he, he basically, as soon as that podcast aired, he's like, I'm in. What do I do now? And I say, right now, you chill. Just run. <laughs> Get your weekly volume where you want it to be. Sit there, chill, relax, enjoy yourself. And then we'll lock and load in the new year and we'll have a plan of attack that we take that will be periodized for you to be prepared for whichever target you shoot. And he's like, well, I'm not sure if I want to do something in January, Houston, or if I want to do something in April of 2025. And I'm like, it doesn't matter right now. Yeah. Right now it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it does matter. At There'll be a critical juncture where it does matter. Um, and that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, we could we can break that off right now if you want to. No, I, I, I like our topic. It's just fun because sometimes I, you know, it's our quintessential five-minute warm-up conversation just to get into the conversation. I've been thinking a lot about like uh, the cultural cohort of people getting into doing what I do as a passion and people that you coach as a passion and us seeing kind of I think about it in cohorts of ideas and it's obviously even the world record for the female field in the marathon is just getting better Mm -hmm. and better and better. And Mm -hmm. it's because the the cohort kind of suggests something along the lines of that four minute uh, mile kind of uh, phenomenon, you know, the thresholds, once a threshold threshold is broken, once a threshold is cracked, then the floodgates open. we're, We're constantly seeing the field, the cohorts 
the newer, you know, and in fact, getting I think better and better and better. And in it's fact, like, wow. I think that you can really judge how far ahead of someone is of their cohort in terms of their what I would call iconic status. Yeah. So like uh, Paula Radcliffe mm-hmm. was iconic and she was so far ahead. Mm-hmm. It took 10 years before anyone even approached her world record. Yeah. Um, Kipchoge, I would consider iconic because in the world that we're in now, you know, he's he got he, he was the best in the world for a very long time. Yeah. He's not anymore. I mean, that doesn't mean that he won't win the Olympic Games or he won't win his next race. But, but we've just seen we've just seen his we've record just seen broken. empirical data that's like suggesting like, OK, this is this is the new thing. More people he set are it moving. the standard. Now it can. Correct. Yeah. But how how but that should just bring to your attention what Paula Radcliffe did, what Joan Benoit yeah. Samuelson did mm-hmm. in their eras when they especially Paula Radcliffe. She was so far ahead. And, you know, that, of course, has painted her with the doping brush, right? So many people put her in that category. But to me, it's like she didn't dope if she didn't get caught doping. This is no way you're going to prove it. So, as we said before, don't fucking piss in my pool. I don't want my pool peed in. Like, Don't pee in my pool. Don't pee in my pool, man. It's (laughs) fine. It's like, maybe I am. Maybe I am swimming in in Paula Radcliffe's piss water. (laughs) (laughs) It's but I just don't want to know about it. Just like if a little kid is peeing in my pool, I don't want to know about it. Just, yeah, just let, let it pee, happen. right? It's really what's Unless it going to do? Yeah, exactly. Unless <laughs> you go too far, which is you ready for my segue? Yeah. Unless you want to risk us. <laughs> that we're seeing, we're we're it's, but also what we're seeing and what we're talking about this week is is risk. And in order to push those boundaries, you know what's you know what the first example that came to my mind is that I did not think about before this episode, but I am thinking about now, is the idea of going out in the first half of the Chicago Marathon like a bat out of hell and risking the second half to go get the ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And that's how we saw those world records kind of come to fruition mm-hmm. is is the element of putting it on the table and I don't think that those things are guaranteed and I think that I think that the pro field and the elite field and some of our greatest ideas and you know athletes and people and they took a lot of risk you know I was just reading the Elon Musk book about the fact that he was probably the the biggest risk taker I've ever read about at this point in time and and so that's my segue into Steve's topic that he kind of threw at me earlier this week was Let's just talk about the idea of risk. Like we, we don't really discuss it that much. And, and I actually think that it's a huge, huge portion because we go into something thinking that it's going to be owed to us or given. And, but we proceed into it initially at the onset with a pretty healthy appetite for risk. Like we, we, it's an interesting topic. So it's, it's the hidden factor that's, always there it's hidden in plain sight and the fact that athletes don't have it close at hand Mm -hmm. is a very big problem for performance and you know this thing can be unpacked at so many levels and this is why i wanted to bring it up because i think as we go into a new year with resolutions people setting goals a lot of big big goals, right? They're always thinking about that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. 
and not the really stormy weather that happens prior to a rainbow even showing up. And you need to realize that it's, it's dangerous. Okay, so the first thing I want to say is distance running to go with a command performance and the bigger and hairier and more audacious that command performance goal is, the larger the risk, okay? It's dangerous at multiple levels, okay? Number one, it's dangerous to your self-image, your ego, and your identity. And this is the thing I think that people just need to tip their hat to. Do you know, have you thought about what it's going to feel like if you don't achieve that goal on that day? That's going to be a really terrible tasting shit sandwich. You, you know why? Because we prime ourselves so much. To, to, because if we put in the work, we feel like there should be a payoff at the end of it. And that's, that's not reasonable. That's not a reasonable assumption. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it, not only is it not reasonable, I feel like it's an irreasonable assumption mm -hmm. because if I take the track record of my career coaching athletes, more often than not, a command performance results in a disappointment. Yeah, probably more times more often than, than not. If someone's rate. not, then they're really not taking risks in, <laughs> and then they don't feel any sense of flow in the process, you know, because part of flow requires a risk of failure. Iconic performances in people and in, in things, they took the risk. And the reason that they're iconic is because they passed the gauntlet. Like they got through. Correct. Either and on, we just <laughs> think that if we do the work, we're going to yeah. get the reward. And that's not the case. And so it's good and instructive at the start of any resolution or any any goal setting process to say, do I understand that the risk of feeling like dirt, feeling terrible about myself and my experience, perhaps even wondering why I even took the time and energy to wake up so early in the mornings to go through all those horrible, terrible training sessions, to spend the money to go out to this event, to skip family vacations with the family. I mean, there's time. <laughs> Everybody can do their own cost benefit yeah, yeah. analysis on this and decide how that all works yeah. for them. But I think it's important at the outset to do that cost benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. Because the likelihood is you're going to reach that place of not getting what you want. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some level of disappointment. And I don't think there's anything wrong with disappointment. Disappointment is what makes the couple times you actually catch the tiger by the tail, you know, it, that it makes that moment more meaningful and more satisfactory. Yeah. But that satisfaction will not occur without the risk in play and we need to just be conscious and cognizant that the risk is there this example i just gave you of a gentleman who's going to take 18 months to run a race the risk is even higher because now yeah, he's because, carved out a yeah. window of time and he needs to be made aware of that mm -hmm. and i think i'm i'm at i'm at fault here sometimes this is why this topic is so meaningful to me because i'm like gosh i need to make sure i've sat down with every one of my athletes as the season progresses and make sure that they're aware of the risks inherent in this. So there's the risk of that first risk, which is the sort of identity ego um, risk. Um, there's another risk. You know, we talk about the practice a lot, but if you're training for a pursuit and your goal is a stretch, you're going to be running right on the edge of injury. 
I've never met anybody whose goal is not the stretch goal. I, I mean, they, but but they, but yeah, they don't take they don't take an account of the risk. I know. That's the and then they wonder, why did I get hurt? Like, this is one of the things I want to say in my program at the bottom of the little asterisk beside it. Like, I want to start the, whatever book I write, the first intro, the, the, before the intro will be a disclaimer. There are huge risks associated with the content of this book. There are huge risks associated with the beginning of getting on this training plan. And we are going to make sure you're aware of those risks because those risks are what make it worthwhile. They're a part of the thing that makes it worthwhile. The risk of injury, the risk of your ego, the risk of uh, all your eggs in one basket. This is another risk because command performances require you to be imbalanced. They do. And Man, you can this... try to balance, but the fact of the matter is there are more people in your life that want you to spend time with them than you have time and energy for. You know, running culture is also at risk because because of the... the if you go sign up for pickup hockey, it's like 25 games. I looked into it. Just You get to go to the next game. It's like a couple every week. With these races, you get one season and all your risk comes to that performance, that A, people call it the A race, the thing. And it's basically, you, 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 most, most folks sign up for one game and it's the championship <laughs> and they just go in and play it for keeps. And I do think that culturally that running is the most, is one of the most interesting things that is the the culture is at risk because of the nature of that takes a lot of um, it, it. It takes a lot of maturity to understand that. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then we talk about it. Like we throw things around, like you're not fast enough. You didn't get the standard. You didn't do this thing. You know, or people, people kind of, you know, we can joke about that sometimes. And, but I don't know anybody who's going to take that lightly. It, it, you know, we, we seldom, talk about the the idea of of failure at the end of the of the end of the line listen sometimes failure results in mental health issues this has happened multiple times yeah for it happened to me personally mm -hmm. um major mental health issues for sure i've seen it in my collegiate athletes my pro athletes athletes i'm working with right now mhm mm and it's I've damn near had to find a higher power to get me past the idea that I'm not good enough in triathlon at this point because the field is getting better and better that I'm like my goal just keeps getting pushed further and further away from me. And it happened in, you know, road running. It, it, hap it happens all the time. It happens in all of life, but we're inured to those risks situations. Yeah. Do you know it's like super dangerous just to get in your car and drive somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yet we don't talk yeah. about those risks. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked, right? But it's like, to me, it's, in, it's so important to just be clear that there are risks. There's risks to your ego and identity structure, which could result in some mental health issues. There's a risk to your physical well-being, 
because in my system, we train pretty hard and we're pushing the edge because we need to in order to be able to push the edge for 26.2 miles or 13.1 miles or 6.2 miles or whatever we're getting ready for. There requires a lot of pushing the edge of being in places we've never been before. There's a risk of imbalance, of, of seeming to be in a cult or in a weird space that's just myopically focused. People can... And it can be problematic and cha challenging. And as you get more and more involved in your goal, you realize more and more how many important aspects of your life you have to jettison. You know, there are, and there's other risks here too. You know, there's, there is the risk that, one of the risks I think that is really important, and this is something that's near and dear to me because I've, I've built my, my brand telos and my sort of style as a coach around this idea of purpose. Yeah. And when, when your running gets wound up in your purpose and it's not clear and it's not really, and believe me, it's really hard to get clear on your running purpose. I've spent a lot of time working on this with athletes. Many athletes are, I think I mentioned this on this podcast before, those people who decide to go down this road, it is not a one-time meeting discussion. It's an ongoing challenge that many people tap out of at some point in time and just say, I, I can't do this because it begins to get existentially really challenging. So there's this existential risk. Now I'm not saying that people are gonna commit suicide, okay? I'm not, I'm not making that claim or making that statement. But this is not a game of cards over a few beverages in the evening, right? This is, there's a reason why people call it a big, hairy, audacious goal. Why it's command performance. There's a fucking risk. And if the risk is not recognized, it can't be utilized. If a risk isn't recognized, it can sneak up behind us and cut us out from underneath cut us from underneath and not, and not know what happened. And ultimately it can have a, a, a pretty substantial effect on someone's overall mental health. And I just think that this is something that all of our listeners need to be aware of. This is not um, traipsing through the lilies hand in hand singing songs. And I think that your, your running influencers, your running shoe magazines, and your uh, brandings are usually um, focused much more on the sunshines and rainbows and unicorns and not on the blood, sweat, and tears and, and, and risks that are in play. Um, and, but, but yet, what I have found is that when runners see a representation through these kinds of areas of the risk, oh man, they get excited because they know that's what they're going through. They know they're having that experience. They definitely do. I couple things come to mind and I'm just going to kind of push you in a little bit go. of a direction go. and just see where you go on this. Two things come to mind and I don't know if you want to segue to either one of them is is the idea of mitigating risk through identifying the purpose, mm -hmm. which is or setting the intention and being clear on the intention as a risk mitigator. Um, that can be anything from uh, the book I always talk about that was so simple and so 
seemingly arbitrary that it, but it changed my mind on everything, which was Ambie Burfoot's run forever. It was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I get to do this for as long as I want. But the question is how long do I want to do this? Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself, am I doing this for the long run or am I I doing this Mm -hmm. to kind of, um, for, for the goals that the acute goals that I set. So time bound versus perpetual. And so mitigating risk comes to mind, but also the, there's the, that's the, what we've been talking about so far setting it up is the shadow side of the risk in not acknowledging it, not being mature enough to understand it or to take time to consider it and what that might do, but also, you know, might be fun to then segue into, but without risk, what is there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, you know, like, I don't, I don't know how we move forward and create bigger and better and cultures and goals and everything without kind of understanding that on the backside of the risk is extreme amounts of progress. Yeah. So I think that these are actually just a polarity, two sides of the yeah, same. Yeah, it's the polarity. There's it's a, two sides of the same thing. One is sandwiched in with mitigating is, risk and understanding. Yeah, one is purpose and sort of ultimate aim, which mm-hmm. is what telos means, ultimate aim. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, which is why I named it that way, not because I think that there is some ultimate purpose, but much more that there, you are working towards something that's ultimate to you. Uh, and then the other side of it is the other pole is this. Um, in the poison is the cure. Yeah. And uh, I think that ultimately these these things are um, one and the same. They're just different ways of looking at it. And I think that what's really dangerous for, for me is that people tend to sit in one camp or the other. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And not being able to go back and forth and back and forth. But let's 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 plow down the purpose road for a little while. See where that gets us. Now because we, can, we have to be realistic about mitigating risk you know we don't just do it because we're not just going to go light something on fire just to see what happens yeah, we're not going to deer hunter this we're going to make sure that like wherever we're building our bonfire is probably not in the middle of our living room or like i always <laughs> yeah. like to use the analogy so. this is probably because i'm gen x and i saw this movie when i was a little kid but have you ever seen the movie deer hunter or deer i think deer hunter i don't it's think like so set in vietnam and basically one of the main scenes is them playing russian roulette Mm. And they just take the gun, pull one, there's yeah. one, one gun, and it just, <laughs> yeah, click, and just, bam, like, are you going to blow, <laughs> Christopher Walken's in it, and it's oh, really, really shit. good, and Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone, anyway, yeah, I, I think, so. no, no, that's, um, that's, Walken and Stallone, yeah, yeah, I don't think Stallone is in it, but anyway, either way, it would be great, <laughs> that, but, but yes, yeah, so mitigation is saying, and mitigation we're saying is having clarity, like trying to be clear and purposeful. But I do think the danger of purpose really is around the idea of having some overall overarching purpose because this is eventually going to bring somebody back to major existential worldview questions that I think are important to ask. But over the last couple months, because I've plowed that field so many times, I'm going to avoid it. Yeah, I think we all kind of know what's going on. But also that some people just don't even think it matters. So that's okay. Agreed. It's hard for me to understand how it doesn't matter. But I've met really people I respect, love and care about who don't think it matters. So I and they think I'm crazy to keep harping on this. That's so I'm just going to leave it because there's no need. There's plenty out there. 
I've talked about have it. We've even done a full. We haven't, but I've done it on, on my. Other, but should. I've done it on my running on purpose, and I did another one with another guy. So yeah, we should. If we do, let's wait six months to a year yeah. before we do it again. Because <laughs> I it's, get it's you. Relatively, relatively fresh content in the Sisson world around those topics, but. Because the ultimate piece of that, the worldview piece of that is just someone's personal relationship to that kind of space. But I do think it's highly instructive to ask the question at the outset. Do you understand? Do you understand what your, what your purpose for this race is? Mm-hmm. That command performance, what's its purpose? What are you hoping to achieve? What is the expectation? If, because this is the, and this is a big thing for me because I hate the word expectation. It mm. is the root problem because in the word expectation is already an achievement. And this is where resolutions really never are resolutions. They're expectations. And then people don't have the willpower to see that expectation all the way through because January is the willpower power month, right? Mm-hmm. But what about April? That shit's in July is certainly not a willpower power month, right? So, you know, I think that it, it, what's important is for people to just say, okay, for this particular activity, like you, you've done this already for your, your Galveston Ironman, right? Mm-hmm. You said, why am I doing this event? Like, why am I doing this event? My understanding, I'm just going to, I'm going to mirror back to you what I think you're doing this for. Okay. Because you want to see what you're made of. You want to see what the process really entails if it is a practice process and you are wanting to learn a few new things about your body and the way your body works and moves through space in this particular area. You may have others, but those three things are three I'm clear on from you, right? In essence, I could ball them up into a creativity category. Like you want to be creative and have a, a, a product afterwards that represents to you the experience and the journey that you've been on in the process of doing it. So it's unfolding even as it's happening. That's a unique piece that you've brought to your training that I think everyone needs to do. But for you, that's what I see as your ultimate reason for doing the Ironman. Am I on track there? Am I off track? You're definitely on. I've had to, but the only way that I could get clear about that goal was to I literally had to grieve the expectation. Yes. Say that again. I, it, I've, I had to basically, you know, going into the, the, I had a very, it was obvious that previous goals were expectations, time bound, performance bound. The only way that I could figure out that I could do this was to let go of the fact that it would be, resulting in uh, a personal best time mm-hmm. like in in because I can't I just couldn't find a way to do both like I couldn't find a way to learn from the training but also engineer the training for an expectation or a result like I couldn't couldn't figure it out mm-hmm. like I just couldn't do it and it was and so now, it's it's it has nothing to do with the expectation of the race you know i i think when when it's done it's going to be more like a what happened there you know let's write it down and see if see if we want to do it again see if we want to take a break you know see if i even like i said on the last episode see if i even really enjoy long course triathlon mm-hmm. like i what I'm learning is, is that 
through the process and the practice is that it may result in one of the best times. It may result in one of the worst times. I don't really know. Um, but I'm learning more about why maybe I am less interested in reverse engineering um, a nine hour and 50 minute full distance triathlon. Like I'm just not really interested. I used to go for here, fun story. I mean, I used to look at, I used to go back and e-trace that I signed up for and I would look at the times from the previous year and I'd get the top 10 and I'd say, well, what's it take to be in the top 10? Okay. This is the time I need to get about 10 hours. I was like, what are the top three? You know, maybe it'd be nine, nine fifteen, something like that. And I'd be like, oh shit. So I go to the triathlon calculator and be like, all right, I'm going to need like a 21 mile an hour, 22 mile an hour bike. I'm going to need, you know, an hour and five minutes swim, whatever. And then I go to the marathon and be like, all right, now we just got to figure out how to run a three hour and five minute marathon or some shit like that. And the training would be a result of taking those tangible metrics and then reverse engineering them into my plan. And what I found was that I was always coming up either over or under and it was really sloppy and well you have transitions which i'm sure you baked into the yeah bottle. yeah for but sure you're not you're not you're not you're not staying open to the experience of whatever might happen on that day It'd be the equivalent of saying like when a breakup three-hour marathon this is the course elevation this is the miles per mile you know going out and simulating that and doing all the stuff but being completely disassociated with any given long run on any given training day six months prior to that race and just having no concept of how that would be um, uh, the success or the failure of that particular session it became like why am I even worried about the success or the failure of that session based off of the reverse engineer of the goal that I'm trying to manufacture here and so I think in my case, I think the biggest risk for me was to um, let go of the expectation. That was a huge risk. It, it, but but is it really? Because I think that's a. This is this is going back to our culture thing. It's only a risk because the culture. And, and remember, when we're talking about culture, we're not talking about one particular thing. We're just talking about the egregore, the, the energetic space of all the different things that are targeting and pointing towards expectation being the thing. Mm -hmm. um, but that is the cultural construct we're in, in competitive sports. Is yeah, that and there's an ex you set a goal, you expect that you'll get it. Yeah, I mean, even, even, even our first races or going out for our first run, whatever it is, we always have the goal. And I think those goals tend to start off pretty, pretty mellow and then they get like really, really crunched down and we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And to me, it was, it was the risk of changing my relationship with the sport and realizing if I get brutally honest about my relationship with the sport, what's going to happen. But okay. Yes. True. And I, let's, I do want to acknowledge that mm -hmm. I completely acknowledge that that is the experience you had and the requirement you had mm -hmm. 
in order to sign up for this race and be really all in on the training for it and how hard that is. But I just want to also make, I know I'm not making you aware, but our listener aware that that is a fabricated bullshit situation from our culture. Yeah. Because what you've now done is looked at it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that opportunity is no different, really, in substance. The experience of the training, the experience of the race will be no different in substance, substantially, really. You'll still be probably getting up and going to do almost every single session that you're going to yeah. be doing. You'll probably be doing all the work. You'll be doing all the metrics. You'll be looking at the race course. You'll be doing all these things. But one is saying, I don't know the outcome of this event, but that's part of the excitement. That's the risk I take for doing the event right. is it's an opportunity with an expectation there is no risk until we get really 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 close to race day and then that risk gets like a giant fucking scary bear in your room yeah. that can't fit underneath your bed and you're like holy shit now i don't even know what i'm doing because i've this whole process is all contingent upon this execution of this expectation that i have that i must do yeah and yet you could have had the exact same experience from start to finish all the way through based on an opportunity. Right. Which is basically just process. And out an outcome is, is associated with your expectation. So when we say process, what we mean is staying in opportunity, staying in the uncertainty, staying in the chance likelihood, the risk space. And there may be a reward but at the end of the day, we all know this. We all have this experience when we finish a race that we do not execute effectively, that we, that we ex do everything right, but we still don't get what we want. We go in confident we're going to get the expectation, and then somehow we come across the finish line, and we're not there. Even in that moment, with just a little distance, a little bit of time, almost every athlete that I work with will see it as always was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So basically all we're doing is pulling the wool out from under our eyes and not fucking believing the bullshit culture that's continuing to tell us that we're doing something for no reason that we're actually not doing it for. That's what I'm trying to bring about. Stealing the culture is not like trying to reframe your experience. I mean, there is a bit of reframing. It's more just to show you that this is a bullshit myth they're selling us. Just like they're telling, I mean, we don't buy keeping up with the Joneses anymore. So why do we buy it in our sporting experience? Just like looking at your neighbor who may or may not be a fucking rocket scientist or Elon Musk, or it might be a guy like me who barely makes, you know, doesn't make much money and he's happy as a clam, but you'll get the <laughs> other guy. So like, what are you going to keep up with? What metric are you going to be using to keep up with the Joneses? That's why we've kind of defray. We're like, oh, it used to be we were so homogenized and so similar. We all lived in the same houses and we all had the same lives and the same experience. 2024, baby. It's like a brave new world. We're mm -hmm. creating jobs. We're making jobs out of the fucking... You and I made jobs up out of the clear blue sky. <laughs> That's what I do now. Right. Like, we made it up. <laughs> and here we are, somehow yeah. making a living, making it up. So it's like, why are we keeping up with the Joneses in our sporting experience? I know. When it doesn't make any sense. Because we're not even going to see it as an expectation four, five, six hours. We're going to try to glean something. And this is the beauty, okay? This is the beauty of that, that imperative, that push you started this conversation with. Mm -hmm. That sort of human directive towards growing or building or moving forward, right? This is how I introduced today's episode that just posted our resolutions sort yeah. of mm -hmm. is that what is it in the human 
experience to look forward, to, to move forward. My dog doesn't really. It's like so instantaneous. Yeah. It's like a super tight feedback loop that can't even, but because there's no consciousness, whatever we're calling consciousness, which yeah. is this self-referential quality that the human has that seems to be unique, relatively unique, at least so unique that we can't really accurately point at an elephant and say it has it. It has something, but we don't know. Maybe the jellyfish or the octopus does. We don't know, right? Maybe the whale does. We don't know. But what we do know is humans have it, and it seems pretty fucking rare. So, like, use it. Use that ability to optimize your search circumstance and your training in your life to an opportunity process-based model mm -hmm. and away from. And now, okay, is there a risk here? Yes, all the risks are still there. But the thing about opportunity is you're living in the risk on the day-to-day. -day. You're living in the risk in each session. Because you're not expecting anything, you're not offloading. You know what expectation is? It's like fucking leasing a car. One of the few pieces of advice I ever got from my dad was do not ever lease a car. <laughs> because there's this huge bubble payment at the back end and you're like fucking regret all over everywhere right at the end. You don't even want the thing anymore. You're trying to yeah. get out of the thing. You're trying to move on to the new thing and then right, and this is what people experience on race day. Yeah. Like as they get into that last bit, the existential dread just gets so overwhelming because of that expectation instead of it staying opportunity. Don't lease the race. Don't lease the race, exactly. Yeah, yes. I like that. Just buy the fucking race. Just buy the experience. From the outset, yeah. know that there's risk and opportunity. There's going to be maintenance. There's going to be things you're going to have to mm -hmm. fix on it. There's going to be, but there's also going to be the joy of driving in the vehicle that you wanted. There's going to be the, you know, there's going to be those pieces. Um, so that's where I sit around this idea of purpose. By, by working around the purpose of your event and looking at that as that purpose as an opportunity and staying with that throughout the entirety of your training experience, A, will lessen the, the risk and fear and nervousness at the end, or that, well, that fear and nervousness and risk will still be there, but it'll be now um, opportunity and not expectation, you know? So we, when we what do we lose in the training? We lose certainty, which we never really had in the first place. It was bullshit. That's why I'm saying it's not real. So it's a confusing world. I went to this, um, oh, at one point in time, I went to like one of these business seminars and, and, um, it was all, all about like, there was one of the pieces that I did not forget. It was like, you have to be absolutely certain, practice absolute certainty. And it was just like, oh, I can't, I can't, I don't, I had a lot of friction in that, that panel. <laughs> I'm just like I know where they're like coming. I'm the king of 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 not knowing what's gonna happen. But let me show. Let me tell you. You walk down that road. That road provides you some immediate benefits, right? Because you don't you stay in a really tight tight feedback loop mm -hmm. of certainty, and if it's not, you move you move out of it. But it doesn't have any it doesn't have any reality. And somewhere along the line, when people do that, they are they are they are confronted with uncertainty in my experience yeah the kicker on that one too is it was like you don't even need to be absolutely certain you just need to like feel it in your bones that you are absolutely certain so you can proceed forward it's like okay i get Act the essence if. of Act i get the if. essence of that mm -hmm. but culturally speaking it seems to be 
um, delineated between those who are certain mm-hmm. and those who are uncertain. And we've seemed to place a value on the polarity of those two things. I'm certain that I'm good enough to achieve this thing or I'm uncertain. And therefore the people on the other side of the camp are like, you know what? They're not very certain. They're not part of my tribe. They're not doing my thing. They can't train with us. And it's interesting that that we haven't honed in on the essence of kind of like threading that needle very in the middle, you know, kind of is it's like, you know, even I don't. So uh, so this is the place where you and I sometimes find ourselves in disagreement mm-hmm. and that you are an appreciator of the middle way. And, yeah. and and mm-hmm. and I'm a little less I'm not convinced that the middle way um is is right in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you don't either, but I know that you're using it as a model, right? It's a way of a way of 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 it of dealing with uh, a circumstance in an as effective and as skillful a way as possible. Yeah. And it's almost always the right way to go. Right. But I think it really does ask humans to be a little bit, um, well, a lot detached. Mm-hmm. There's a witness position necessary. I mean, I do think that our modern world has atrophied the witness role. The witness is important. This is a Buddhist, these are Buddhist concepts, right? This is the Vipassana way. Have a witness, use the witness to watch and stay in the middle space. In between, because right. it's really hard to be in the middle. It is really humanly really hard. But I'm a little bit more of a Western, not an Eastern person. And I'm like, well, roll with the key. The middle way is to go back and forth and back and forth. But you need to be really tough. You need to know you're going to go through some super highs and some really big lows. And I think they're instructive. But that's just the way I choose. I'm not saying the middle way isn't effective. I think for many people, that's the appropriate way. To me, it's not the way I want to live. I want to take more risks. Now, I do go the middle way in other areas, in my work-life balance, mm-hmm. in my relationship with my daughter and my wife. I take a middle away because they can't handle any of the, these, these super that's a part of flying the up and flying like, back. That's a part of identifying your, your intention of the thing that you're doing. Like, I've just chosen, like... There are periods of my life life where I've been very driven to one side or the other. But, but I mean, and I've also changed my position on a lot of those things. Like I'm not as, I'm not as risky with business as I was two or three years ago. Just not. And so what do you risk by that? Well, success because you, you still you, you risk know, something exactly. So yeah. you you risk a lot of, you know, it's it's hard to read things where it's like, well, you, you know, you might not be able to grow it if you don't take another risk and do another. It's like, all right, I get that. Like, I get it right now, dude. I would feel lit up at two o'clock in the morning doing risky shit, mm-hmm. inebriated, living. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a to me the way I was raised, and at least not by my parents, mm-hmm. but by my small familial cultural unit my my siblings we all have this problem we feel like we're losing if we're not out at 2 a.m fucking going crazy i know yeah and and so i do risk some sense that in some place i'm missing out on some significant life benefits but that's 
balanced by waking up in the morning clear-headed and ready to meet my daughter and my wife when they mm-hmm. get up and we're together and we're with each other and that's where I'm at in this phase. But I'm still leaving open the 2 a.m. or the 4 a.m. meditation route, which I don't do because I can't, because I'm not going to be ready. You know, that's some risky we're, shit. We're always, you, yeah. we're always giving up something. <laughs> Nothing's, know. there's no fucking free lunch. Everything costs something. There's a risk to everything. I do, I do think we should table the rest of the, table that particular discussion for another episode. Yeah, it agreed. would be an epic, yeah. because you are, we, the cost benefit analysis of, of the middle way, okay, versus um, the crazy wisdom. Yeah. Versus crazy wisdom. Like those are two models that come from a Buddhist tradition, but they're completely antithetical. Mm-hmm. Probably in typical Buddhist fashion, they're also the same thing. But you know what I mean? That would be another conversation for another day. But for the sake of this conversation, I, I do think it's important to understand where, you know, everybody's different. Yes. Everybody... You know, everybody's got a different approach to what they're doing in on in the in the running team example. Everybody might have different ways that they kind of a, approach the session. So, but I I think identifying I think identifying that before you even read the warning label of the risk is very yeah. very very important. I agree. You you know what I'm saying? I agree. It's it's, 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 it's I call this seeing clearly. Yeah. Trying to sort of see as many, you're not, you're always going to have blind spots. Okay. We're always going to have blind spots and we need to keep those. That's a risk. We have to keep those in play, but we can try to see as clearly as we possibly can with the recognition that we're likely to be wrong somewhere along the line, but, but willfully obscuring the view of whatever we're going into because we're trying to be in the middle way or we're trying to be crazy wise, right? Is, 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 a fool's errand. You just need to pick the one that works for you consistently and call this your personal style. Call yeah, this your yeah. own creative way of being and fucking own it. Mm-hmm. Own it all the way. That's the problem. This lack of authenticity of seeing that clear vision all the way through because the risk involved with authenticity is high. Mm-hmm. So pivoting across this perceptual polarity mm-hmm. spectrum, we have the idea around working with the risk, right? Taking, right, once you understand it, then you can use it. You can use it. Right. And this is a very hard, I just want to say that in all ways, this poison path, I have called it in previous episodes, someone got on me recently about calling it Tantra, okay? The the Tantric model is an Eastern Indian basic construct around taking the prohibited, off-limits, um, not-allowed aspects of a cultural con- context and going that direction in order to gain more insight because you're not just following the herd. There's a deep wisdom in that, right? So what I'm saying here is that there's that that I'm not equating this tantra. I'm just saying the poison and being the path is a way of recognizing that there's always a direct unit. There's always something to be learned and gained, even from difficult, challenging circumstances. But it's very hard to do because you're swimming upstream in a very fast moving river of our culture. 
So working with risk means you're dealing with risk in a very tangible and rational way over and over and over again. And the risk to viewing risk this way is a like literally making anybody around you a little bit crazy because you end up talking about it <laughs> because it's in your space and they don't agree with you. So now you're actually really kind of feeling how much it's already hard to swim upstream if if everybody moving downstream is bumping into you and saying, what are you doing? Why are you going that way? Why are you going that direction? Right. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to do that if you just put your head down in the water and nobody else is in it and you're moving. But that's not the way reality actually works. Most people are not going to be happy with you. Um, number two, you're you're in a place where um, eventually the you're going to wear out. Like you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Okay. If you, if you take the poison eventually and you keep taking it, you can either stop taking it or you're going to die. Like there, it's not a path that is long-term mm. where the purpose path is, but it's incredibly instructive for windows of time. It's incredible, incredibly instructive to bring into the model and work with. So let me give an example. So we're not working with, um, of microdosing risk. Yeah, concept <laughs> concepts. It's not even microdosing. I, I actually think these are heroic doses. Yeah. They just wear off. Right? Yeah, they're, for sure. They're they're big. They're big bad boys. Like they, if you work with it, it's gonna be it's gonna mess with your. It's gonna alter your consciousness for mm -hmm. a little while because because you're gonna be recognizing all these other challenges that are around it. Mm -hmm. But what it, but what you do find is you find out what you're really made of. This is what's important: is that you find out where your limits are where you're where where you're really squeamish and you're doing it prior to race day so you're playing with that risk and you're playing with the risk in um in the experience of the training when it's happening in training trying to simulate maybe not exactly but simulate that discomfort it's like a match made in heaven with what the race might require because the what the race requires is kind of it's just we all know it so, so my example is this, I have a few really big sessions that Steve Magnus would call seeing God sessions. They have mm -hmm. been toned down over the last few years because I've got a much better system now that doesn't need those kinds of big checks. But in the past, I've had a few sessions, um, which are designed explicitly to put you in deep risk of failing so that you deal with number one, see clearly the risk you're taking in preparing for that race. Let's just say somebody wants to run, go under three hours at Boston. Okay. So that requires a 650 per mile for 26.2 miles on a course that's notoriously challenging to get right. You certainly aren't going to run 650, 650, 650, 650, 650 right. all the way through that sucker. Anybody that's run it knows what I'm talking about. Whereas Chicago, you might, even though even that's statistically improbable, but potentially a little mm -hmm. easier to try to do. Um, and so, what I do is give sessions that just say, okay, we're going to basically throw everything at you so that you have to stay on 650 pace late in a workout when things are getting really, really tough and challenging under whatever weather conditions we happen to find. Mm -hmm. And that risk is you're going to, the risk there is that you're going to fail. And this, these sessions, they, they, they're very hard to approach. They create um, all kinds of excuses why people don't want to do them. People run away from them all the time. 
Now, my athletes have gotten accustomed to them, and so they I'm not sure exactly if they have PTSD at this point or if they're able to work skillfully with them or they modify it as they need to. But for each of them, I would expect some modification for them to decide how attached to the sub three hour goal that they are and that the workout provides you a bout of work that you're dealing with that risk right in the moment and and it's attendant positive negative feedback loops um feeling states fear states uh mental machination where you start to go down you, you know that you start to uh, not be able to, to to see clearly there's so many things that happen in these sessions and I think that these are very useful and instructive but it's a way of taking risk bringing risk into the work another way to deal with this is to um, bring your opportunity your goal into each workout through intention setting a clear intention that in this workout the aspect I'm working on is X the risk I'm going to be taking is Y and then the outcome will hopefully get me closer to where I want to be for each athlete I would want to break that down independently like what those exact those X Y and outcome would be right but if you're coming at this from the view of expectation it's very problematic dealing with this kind so of what's risk. A, what's what I'm finding difficult to understand is it, it, in, in real time it's easy to talk about it but it's hard to do it because I've done these sessions before there is risk involved you know I'm not necessarily interested in the success rate of folks who get through those workouts with all the boxes checked. I'm more interested on the fact that most times I'm seeing people not hit numbers. Mm -hmm. And and it's like it such an interesting and but that's what you signed up for. <laughs> but but the because if the outcome were certain, then it wouldn't be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, we go back to your purpose. Like, it, it, they're deeply intertwined. So what's your, somebody comes at you, and they feel like a failure on one of these seeing God sessions. Mm -hmm. That would be a natural feeling um, to feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is what's your what's your approach on that? Is it? I guess that that's where so you three, almost can't find you. You almost it, there are there are some categories that are helpful here. Mm -hmm. The first is context. Yeah. So what happened on that particular day? Mm -hmm. So was it weather conditions? Neutralize the up? system. Just, just just try to figure yeah. out all the variables that were at play, and and clearly see the variables. So this is a very hard thing for people to do, even mm -hmm. by itself. Just this practice is very hard. Mm -hmm. Because people have all kinds of hidden 
hidden motives and hidden associations and hidden hidden skeletons in the closet. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm there to, to discover what they are. I don't really fucking care. Like they don't, but they're getting in the way of seeing clearly. But at least we can address it. And I think if people will do this consistently, they'll get really, really clean. And then they go into sessions feeling, feeling much better. But look at your context. Did you stay up late that night? Did you, mm-hmm. did, are you worried about something that's going on in work or in your family? Um, those kinds of things. Was the, what were the weather conditions? Um, how was your approach? How did everything go? But assuming that everything is copacetic there and things are lined up, but there's probably something in there. There's probably something in life that impacted your ability to execute that session. Okay? That's the first thing, context. Number two, what's the goal all about? So what is this sub-three-hour goal? Like, really, what is it? What is it to you? Why? What is your purpose? This arbitrary number because it still is arbitrary. It's 180 seconds, 180 minutes. It's, I could, I could break it down into seconds and it doesn't mean anything. 180 minutes doesn't even really mean anything, but three hours does. Like, why? Well, okay, right. We, we know. There's egregores. There's, there's, cultural, there's cultural accretion around that time. And it's a real thing. Believe me, brother. I'm, I believe in those kinds of spirits. They are, they are, they are they're archetypical, right? Mm-hmm. There's something really there. Um. So that's the other piece is like sort of just coming back to your purpose and your relation to the goal around your purpose. And then the last thing that I would say is just go, is, is utilize, and these are just three basic things I would just assess, okay? Um, there might be other things with other athletes. But the third thing would be to recognize, t- to recognize that you were not friends with yourself. You're an enemy to yourself. And how can you make it right? To go back to that context, is it the choices you could have made in the lead up? Go to your purpose of why you're running, trying to run three hours at Boston. Um, And continue to check that against mm-hmm. this idea of you just beating yourself up. Why are, who's the you that's so upset? Mm-hmm. Who's the you who's devastated? Because this is an opportunity, not an expectation. It's an opportunity. And here now you're made clear the areas that you need to work on. I had a workout I used to do. I still do it, but it's a, it's an adjusted workout because it was a little bit too was a little bit too big. <laughs> yeah. um, I called it old scratch six six six. Right? It was, it was a big workout, I and I did it. And I did it real early in the session, real early in the season, before half, just before halfway through the season, um, so that people could like check themselves against the goal. Because if you couldn't get through this workout, it was not likely. Okay, if you couldn't get through this workout, you were definitely not ready to run the time you wanted to run in. At that point, but we still have half of this cycle to go. Let's say it's a three, three, uh, four month cycle. We still have two more months, Mm -hmm. but you ought to be scratching your head at that point because the workout was 18 miles of work, not 26.2. So now again, we'll go through the X, right? What were the, what were the, what were the, what was the context? What was your, what was your, you know, the, the actual things that got in the way that, that happened in the day, the hour, the, the week before then, um, the weather, those kinds of things. And then also, how do you feel about three hours now? How do you feel about this goal? Are you still there? But you're also <laughs> in that... Sp- come back tomorrow. You're also in that space to say, do you think that you... Does it get you excited 
to figure out the work that you can do. Because now to me, you just had the, a test to That's see. the element. That's the element. So you can either see that as a failure to the metric or you can see it as what's your relationship with the risk? It was a risk. You know, all the time. It's so fascinating. And, so and like now if you the, see it as like, well, shit, I got two months, man, and the weather was kind of shitty and I'm not very good with myself right now. And imagine if I'm... But now you've got the fodder. Okay, yeah. now you've got the, re- the stuff to work with. Okay, now you got the fuel to bring into that thing I was talking about at the beginning, which is bringing risk into your training sessions through your intentions. So now you've got the actual, let's in this case, I was unable to hold 650 per mile. And then you assess with your coach, what are the steps I need to take? What are the things I need to do? In my program, it's already in the schedule. So just come present and correct to each and every one of these workouts, working on the first two aspects there, making sure that you've got your details sussed, that's why I call president correct. Mm-hmm. Seeing clearly, shit, your ducks in a row to the best that you can get them. Clear intentions, clear-eyed, purposeful intention on what you're going to be doing. And then let's go into this with an opportunity to see what happens. And if this occurs, if a person can operate at this level, 75% of their training opportunities. And I would put easy runs in this category, Michael. That if you can use your easy runs and your weekly volume metrics, also in this category of bringing your intention to achieving your goal by recovering appropriately on the recovery days, by making sure that you're doing your easy runs in the appropriate zone so that you continue to get all the real benefits from those particular workouts, that you're not suddenly cheating because in my old scratch, I was too slow. At, and so therefore, I probably need to squeeze the lemon somewhere else. Yeah. No, don't squeeze a lemon anywhere else. Double down. Double down on the intent. Double down on the program. Double down on my vision. Mm-hmm. On, and in this case, my program is it's already worked through these problems. Do the, do the schedule appropriately and you will, you will have a much better chance of getting the result. In my opinion, I, I believe this. It's a, it's a, it's a system. It works. It's, it, it's high functioning. But then each person has to bring their own story to it. They have to bring their own experience to it. And they have to bring their own belief to bear and see it as an opportunity. They're all hinges on, on the idea that you understand what you're getting into in the beginning. There's a risk. Yes. That's why it takes usually, that's why the, the first, like the first experience is always so rock and roll. The second is like, Ooh, so much, so much more to work on. And you know, for the, I, and I just want my, our listeners to uh, appreciate this. I've worked with people for five, 10 years mm-hmm. and the more you're in a system, the more you know it, right. um, the closer you're getting to your true fitness, your, your sort of absolute fitness. And, and by that, you know, I don't mean in some kind of qualitative way, that, that this is the best you can do. But given the vagarities of life being, you know, we're not professionals. We have a limited window of time. We've got stressors in our life, families, children, full-time jobs, all these kinds of things that people do get plateaued at certain spots. And plateaus um, are both physiological, psychological, and cultural. They're, sure. they're a part of a thing. But those are the periods where this stuff gets harder. But it is also the place where that risk becomes more enlivening. It brings you alive more. But only if you stay in that opportunity matrix, if you stay in that place of seeing it as an opportunity. 
Because if you move into and you creep into expectation, oh man, that's a sinkhole that will suck you in. Mm-hmm. You remember those old, those cartoons we watched as kids, and you know that somebody stepped into the quicksand, and at first it was innocuous and not that big a deal, and they you know they tried to push out, and they just got pulled further and further and further, inextricably down into the pit of the of that quicksand. That's what the expectation matrix will pull pull you into. And and once you're in that expectation matrix, you you typically do have to wait until you get through the other side before you can see clearly. Um, Probably through burnout, or injury, (laughs) or or mental health issues, right? Or but but all of the above. But what's but again, just to say how resilient we are. You know, the reason one of the maybe one of the reasons why humans are continuing to push towards things. It's because we have this incredible capacity to justify and explore through our rational means and our ability to have consciousness to just go through it and see it, see it differently and see it as an opportunity after the fact. Um, but then we fall into the traps, the habitual traps, I think, that are culturally construed and not um, and is, is something we need to be, in my opinion, very conscious of and working through and having risk front and center. Um, you know, sometimes it can be helpful to make an icon, bring an icon to this, like an image, a picture, uh, um, a little trinket, something that, a rock, a stick, something that can represent risk and carry it with you in a way that you can have it as tangible. Right. Putting it in your pocket or placing it on a mantle, putting it at your, where you brush your teeth or... You know, like people have used with mantras or goals, they'll write them on a, on, a, on a mirror or something. The risk is just as important to live with and sit with and have as a companion because that risk is the thing that you're actually looking for at the end. That feeling state you're desirous of when you come across the finish line was there because of the risk. You know, my first marathon that I ever ran because I didn't know what the expectations should or shouldn't be it was awesome all opportunity it was it was the greatest situation ever and i didn't know how big of a risk i was taking but i just fucking sent it and and it was awesome to this day it's it's the fastest i've ever run and it wasn't because i was in the shape it wasn't because i'm any more prepared than i am now but it's because like i didn't even know i didn't even know like how big the risk that I was taking was, mm-hmm. you know, it was awesome. And it was, it's, it's such a, it's such a fun, the payoff of these things is just fascinating. You know, anytime I've taken a risk in anything, the payoff has been extraordinary. You know, anytime I've taken a risk and failed, um, it didn't hurt that bad to be honest with you. Like, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't, if the, if you if you can kind of like a lot of you know i think we deal with it i think we deal with it and we always do people like i said people 24 hours 36 hours 48 hours a week later people are people are already processing the positive aspects and the right. opportunities available to them for the next time but then they creep quickly into that quicksand that sucks them down into expectation by setting a goal yeah and i'm just saying to people be wary Danger, danger lurks. Here be dragons, right? Here be dragons. <laughs> That's it, man. Oh, I love that shit. Yeah, I... 
I just start. I told I told Lena the other day. I was like, you know, I'm I'm not too fulfilled right now with with work. And I told her that, and I was like, I don't like I don't like cranking the wheel right now. It just feels like I'm just doing whatever. And it's like I need. I think specifically, I told her I was like, if I don't have some element of risk, I'm not feeling like I'm. Like I was I was. I told, I think I said, I was like, I was born to feel an element of risk. And I, right now I've been trying to live in the middle, but I think it's basically out of fear, you know, trying to be so in the middle of, uh, of things. You know, I enjoy it in various aspects because being in the middle for me is very difficult, like, you know, addictive background and everything like that. And so it's super safe to be in the middle, but at the same time, I'm not really seeing some of these. It was just I expressed to her the other day. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm gonna start at U.S. Shoe Factory. And everybody I talked to was like, you won't be able to do it. I'm like, well, you can't do it by getting compression machines sent from Asia. Like, I get all the stuff that you can't do, but like, what can you do? Like, what, what, what could you produce with? crumb rubber from recycled tires I don't know like it's funny you you know whatever it is or maybe it's um but I'm craving some of that because what I've learned is that every time in my life that I've taken the risk and it works out it gets me to a place where I couldn't have ever it's so far beyond a one out of a ten goal that it's like you just can't imagine it's like what seldom do we ever kind of anticipate a 15 but I don't think you can hit a 15 on a 1 to 10 scale if you're just without the risk. Nope. You can't move. Like you, you just, and an 8 is boring sometimes. Just be sure, <laughs> th- just, just, to be, just to be clear, just be sure you know what the risk of the 15 is. Right, right, yeah. If you miss, what's the risk? And is that, is, can you stomach it? Oh, yeah. You know, those are the, that, and that to me is what we're talking about here. That's the whole, that's the whole, kit and caboodle it's like the risk isn't the problem the risk is the actual is the lever it's the fuel it's the it's the energy it's the fire but you know (laughs) if you expect to make a u.s if you expect it to happen then likely you're gonna you're, you're gonna have some serious serious problems along the way especially if it doesn't plan out pan out but if it's an opportunity then there's probably all kinds of ways that you can you can rebound, re, yeah. reposition, repivot, move. Here's, here's the ultimate example of that. And I'll, I'll, I'll end on this little, little fun story. I rarely tell it in the genesis of why the fuck I even started maybe running in some of the first place because it was all about health and a part of the sobriety and everything. But there was this, there was this, uh, there was this girl and she was always running in my hometown. I was like, that's awesome. She's running like, eight miles shit's crazy man and uh so i was like you know what i'm gonna start running maybe i'll maybe i'll ask her out and uh (laughs) and one day she was like i'm running 13 you want to come run with me and i never run a half marathon distance at that point so i was like i made a bet with myself i was like go out and do that run and at the end of it if you make it the payoff will be you get to ask her out Mm -hmm. you know you get to go run a couple hours it'll be fun kind of get yourself ready and then ask her out so we're done we finished it feeling all good and you know i'm sitting there and i'm like ask this girl out and she turns me down (laughs) (laughs) and 
you know, it was like, at first I was like, oh shit. And, you know, I was like, what an interesting, funny story. All my friends laughed at me about it. They're like, you went and ran 13 miles in Eskimo. I was like, yeah, but, and then a few weeks later I was like, but man, I ran a half marathon the other day and I really like this running stuff and I think I'm going <laughs> to keep doing this shit. And it's like, there's a good pivot of failure into a pivot. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, you never know what you're going to see on the other side of failure either. So, I mean, that's yeah, where the and- opportunity comes in and it's like, who cares about being turned down on a date? You know, I get to go sign up for another race because now I'm a runner, you know, that's cool. And, <laughs> and you actually did go on a date with her. Which one? 13.1 miles. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you actually did go on a date. She, it, she probably already knew that. I was like, dumbass. <laughs> like that, what did we just do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you want me to, did you want to kiss me afterwards? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's funny. That was a, sometimes I forget about that, That's but that awesome. was one of the, one of the fun, <laughs> one of the fun failures. I don't uh, know all those catchphrases about failure, but. It's not fun to fail when you don't take risk. It's fun to fail when you take risk. And on the other side of that, you'll probably learn something. That's another thing they tell you in sobriety. Who cares what you do? It's not right or wrong. Just make the next right decision. Keep moving on, and you're going to learn something. If you keep learning shit, you're good. Amen. We can end there, man. Godspeed, y'all. Godspeed.